Hi everyone, this is part two and the final part of our show with Stephen, so please listen or watch part one first, which is linked in the show notes and video's description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can spread Bitcoin education to other people like yourself. BitcoinProsperityPodcast.com The reason why I got interested in Bitcoin is for a store of value. Um, it was really because of the peer-to-peer cashless electronic delivery of, 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 you know, and, you know, buying of, of goods. Right. So that's what I really believe in. And, and, and that's where I think the best use case of, of Bitcoin is. Welcome to the Bitcoin prosperity podcast with your host, Gordon, that's me and Ferris from coincompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our full disclaimer. Visit BitcoinProsperityPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Now let's change tack a little bit. Unless, Faris, do you have any more questions? Because you know me, I'm going to get technical. Okay. Um, so have, have we properly introduced you, Stephen, um, CIO of Exponential? Oh, yeah. Yes. yes okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at your uh, Twitter feed, uh, Exponential's got a digital asset fund i think it is a conference going on at the moment our audience i would say are mostly non-investors so could you say for example give us a definition of what a digital asset is and perhaps how that's different from say a crypto asset or a token or a cryptocurrency yeah that's right well one of the reasons why actually i i left traditional financial services to you know explore the the, the wild world of, of of blockchain and and, and bitcoin over four years ago now, um, was because I saw the potential of blockchain. You know, um, I, I, I'd seen the potential of Bitcoin for years um, as a as a as a digital currency, but but blockchain itself, uh, particularly when I was investigating the Ethereum network, um, was quite interesting. Uh, the ability to use smart contracts and apply them to things like bonds, because you know, I'm, at the end of the day, you know, I, I started my, my my asset management career in in, in fixed income. And I, and I can't help myself always go back to it. But, but bonds are actually a largely inefficient market. Um, it's, not like, it's not like equities where uh, you know, most public equities are, are, are trading on an exchange and there's a lot of information flow and, um, and, and they're, and they're easy, to, easy to buy and sell you know, at, at great increments. But fixed income is, is, is typically uh, every bond is different from the next bond, even if it's from the same issuer. And, um, and, and, it, and it makes it very difficult to, 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 to manage it from an operational perspective, right? So if you could actually apply, if you, if you could put a bond on the blockchain and apply very simple, um, you know, very, very, very simple concepts uh, that, that, that have been creating, say, you know, through, say, the Ethereum chain with, with smart contracts, you could actually manage them much better. You make you can make them a lot more efficient right um and, and and to get maybe too deep and technical um you know a lot of a lot of people think about bonds as you know the the, the barclays ag and you know benchmark bonds of a billion dollars or greater in issuance and you know uh big companies that everybody thinks about but but the biggest inefficiencies are things like u.s municipal debt sovereign credit um emerging market credit where you might have a tiny country that 
only wants to issue 200, 300 million dollars in debt, and the big boys don't want to don't want to touch it because it's just it's not benchmark. So they have to pay a lot more money. Number one to distribute it. Number two in their coupon. So even though they might have a better credit quality than say a larger country, uh, their coupon might be two to three points higher. Um, and you're reliant on you know maybe five to ten fixed income shops total that will even traffic in those types of bonds, and and, and, they, and they usually take the whole thing. And, and I and I worked at a shop that that that's what we did. You know we 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 you know I I ran you know merchant markets and sovereign credits for for a while, and I only looked at things that were non benchmark, really juicy, really illiquid, um, but but high quality um, as a, as a value investor. Uh, but if you can eliminate that, you know, if you can, if you can, if you can make these things, number one, smart contracts make them a little bit more understandable and, and manageable. Number two, they can be fractionalized so that people can actually buy them directly and, and, and gain the benefit of, of the high coupon rate for, for the credit quality. You actually make things better for people that are investors, uh, the general public, as well as for the issuer. So I know I gave you a really, really long story on, 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 on where I see the benefits are, but, but that's an example of a digital asset. It's, a, it's, it's an asset that's, that comes from traditional markets, uh, traditional finance, um, things that people understand, they, 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 they can feel them, but they're, 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 they're simply put into a more efficient manner through uh, electronic trading and, and, and on the blockchain. So you can apply that to, you know, private and public equities. There's a lot of inefficient equities out there as well that, that trade OTC or, or on some ATS. Uh, there's bonds, there's commodities that can be more efficient. Real estate is another area uh, that can become more efficient as well uh, in a fractionalized manner, uh, as well as venture. You know, uh, you know venture uh, has a really interesting risk, ret- risk, run pro- uh, risk return profile, uh, as well as private equity. So what we've decided to do is listen to a lot of institutional investors that we've talked to really over the last four years, um, you know, whether together or separately. And a lot of pension funds and insurance companies and, and endowments and trusts uh, look at things like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And like, you know, there's too much there to understand. There's too much risk in investing in a Bitcoin fund or a cryptocurrency fund and letting somebody manage it. It could blow up. It could go to zero. It could, you know, I don't even know what the thing is. But what they do understand is real assets that are that are that are that are fractionalized and that are that are electronic, and um, so we essentially created a fund that does that. You know, where we can make allocations to venture, to real estate, to stocks, bonds, commodities, even crypto assets if we want to, like Bitcoin. Uh, and but that way, it's not a hundred percent in crypto assets that, that that cause a lot of strife and grief. Um, and second of all, we, we, we actively manage it so that we can make allocations to the sectors that make sense and not force to buy real estate because we have to, but because it's of good value. Uh, so, so, so that's really what we've created in this uh, a digital asset fund. Just to uh, drill down on that a little bit more, you, you mentioned fractionalization. Uh, everyone talks about you know, how, how they're going to buy a tenth of an apartment or a twentieth of an apartment or something like that. Is that is is that the real use case, or is that what you're talking about, or is there something? Is there a bigger picture there? You know, there's <laughs> real estate is it's it's is, is tough, right? You know, um, there's a lot of people that have tried it over the last few years. Um, there's actually pretty efficient ways to buy 
what I would call fractionalized real estate, especially in the U.S. It's tax efficient, and that's buying a REIT. But there are private private real estate deals out there that, that do make sense from, from a fractionalized standpoint. What I care more about are things that are of good value that professional money managers are buying that we want access to. And, and I'll give you a good example. In the U.S., we had this thing called Build America Bonds that, that, that came out in 2010 that was really meant to get people to start buying municipals again. And, and Build, America, Build America Bonds were essentially where the federal government would pay a portion of the coupon at the munis or the municipalities couldn't. And in the U S there's all these tiny little municipalities, you know, they're, they're, you know, little cities or counties or even States uh, that, that don't have a lot of paper to issue. Some of them, you know, are, are bonds that support local schools or water or electric. Uh, but the very first build America bond that came out was actually in San Diego and it was only $25 million. Uh, so you're not going to find like a PIMCO or BlackRock that are going to buy a little dinky $25 million bond. Uh, but the people that live in San Diego sure probably want to buy that bond in some way. So, so you could take that bond and fractionalize it and, and benefit the community uh, and benefit the bondholders at the same time and, and, and be tax efficient. So, so those are probably the best use cases right there. And is that what we're talking about? I mean, this, to me, one of the massive use cases is you don't have to be an accredited investor. You can get into some of these other markets, some of these private markets, and it's accessible to everyone. I know we all saw the ICO boom in 2017. Um, but to me, there, there's obviously that use case. But uh, there's other use cases as well um, with digital assets, stuff like micro lending. Oh, yeah. Uh, bringing other kind of illiquid assets. I mean, I guess real estate, you can't just go onto a, an exchange and sell your house within five minutes. That seems to be a, a, a real use case as well, sort of, I don't know, um, enabling this sort of uh, investment for, for everyone. Yeah, I actually really love micro lending. And, and it's actually something that I've been both, both studying and involved in for the last, I don't know, 15 years. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, I, you know, was involved in micro lending in, 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 in the Philippines, um, and a few other places. And, and what really turned me on to micro lending is, is, is looking at what's happening in a lot of emerging market countries and seeing that, you know, people's lack of access to credit is really what keeps them in poverty. Uh, and, you know, as long as you're responsible with your credit. Uh, and, 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 and also in a lot of societies, pride is what stops you from defaulting <laughs> on that credit. You're going to, you're going to work hard and make sure that you pay people back. But, um, but, but, you know, stories of how, you know, people work all day long just to sell something and hopefully they, 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 they sell it so that they can then buy more materials to build it again and buy a bowl of rice. Um, you know, lending at, at reasonable rates makes that possible because typically people are borrowing the supplies that they need to make something at, at very high rates, 25, 30%. Uh, so, so micro lending makes a lot of that possible and, and going around the world, you, you know, most people have a phone, right? So you can simply digitize micro lending to, to, to really support a lot of localized societies. I mean, I, I it, it is one of my favorite use cases of, of, of digitization. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And we're actually talking to Leah about this because she's worked with the World Bank. I've had experience with um, 
Mohammed um, Yunus's uh, Grameen Bank, micro, he was the first one to do microfinancing in uh, Indonesia. And um, I mean, you just think, like you just said with Bitcoin, you got half the world's adult population don't have access to a bank account, but there's seven to eight billion mobile phones in the world. And yeah, $20 to us is nothing, but $20 to someone in you know the countries you just mentioned, that's the beginning of an empire to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and look, Mohammed Yunus is actually the person who turned me on to micro lending when I when I read his book 15 years ago. And uh, I mean, he it's very very well put. And I think and I think this is the best possible use case to you know actually you know for 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 good humans that want to make the world a better place. I I think it's a I think it's a fantastic use case. Absolutely. Um... What whatever happened to just going back to ICOs? What whatever happened to ICOs? Are we now at the STO or uh, there seems to be a lot of exchanges doing IEOs? What what's going on in that space? You know, it's funny because I've abs- I, I actually absolutely hated that whole movement. You know, everybody launching an ICO. It's like, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that were you know trying to trying to trying to get money quick because they couldn't get it you know, through, through traditional channels. And, and I understand why, why they did it, right? Not everybody has access to Silicon Valley venture capital. Not everyone has access to wealthy angels and family offices. But um, at, at, at the end of the day, that, that's, that's really all it was. It was simply, you know, it, it should have stayed right there where it was, where, uh, you know, typical reg in, in the U.S., typical reg D, you know, 506C, 506B offerings, uh, for seed and series A investment, and you're simply, you know, doing it online with a token. I think that's great, you know, but to say that that's well, not really security and I'm going to kind of bend the rules and I'm gonna do what I want. Um, you know, that's, that's where a lot of companies have gotten into trouble. And, uh, so, so I, I hated the whole ICO thing. I actually kind of hated the whole STO thing. I'm a big fan of like taking legitimate assets that everybody knows right? Like bonds, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and simply using the blockchain as a tool, you know, we're not creating anything new here, right? You are just using it as a tool to make it a little bit more efficient, and shave, shave off some costs to the investor and shave off some costs to the, uh, uh, to the issuer. Right. I mean, think about, think about PIMCO, right? You know, I think PIMCO manages something like a trillion dollars in mutual funds, and if you were to take all those mutual funds and make a blockchain the transfer agent, which is you know five basis points, but still uh, five basis points of a trillion dollars saves them and their investors a ton of money. Um, and and that's you know on the investment side of things. Again, the use case around you know creating a better planet. Through things like micro lending, that's 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 another use case that makes a lot of sense. But but you know these the whole the whole STO we're creating something new that's that's always been a you know <laughs> a big thorn in the side of this industry and and and, it, and slowed it down quite a bit in 2017. Yeah, mine too. I was talking to Ferris 2015. I said, "Come on, Ferris, let's just create this two-page PDF and we'll have millions of dollars." But I'm kind of glad we didn't do it because the SEC would have come a knocking. Yeah, that's exactly right, and they did, and they're and they're still doing it. They're still they're still coming and knocking to a, to a lot of people. Um, so Stephen, can you tell us about um, three IQ, please? 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, 3IQ is actually one of our um, portfolio companies uh, in our fund. Um, really interesting company uh, 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 up in up in Toronto. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's veterans of Bay Street, uh, which is which is the, the, the Canadian Wall Street. Uh, for those that don't know, and uh, they have actually just listed the very first Bitcoin fund on a Canadian exchange. So uh, that was quite interesting that I think that it just got listed today. Uh, so, you know, really, really proud of what those guys are doing. And uh, they're also involved in creating a Canadian stable coin that's listed on several exchanges as well. Uh, so, so, so really innovative guys uh, that, are, that, are, that are doing cool things in Canada. Um, I could still go on for ages. Like you brought up the U.S. dollar before the petrodollar, and like I could ask you about Triffin's dilemma, um, all these other things. If you, if you have the time to, it's up to you, Stephen. We can keep going down these rabbit holes for ages. We can, we can, we can, we can talk about whatever you want. Um, I mean, oil is really interesting to me right now. I don't know if it's interesting to you. Um, I'm seeing oil as the buy opportunity of a lifetime coming up. Actually, I, I don't know how you feel about it. You know, I I was looking pretty intently at oil ten years ago when uh, we had the first you know or the, or the, or the last great recession. Um, I was I was looking at oil and seeing you know we had all these programs that we that we had in the U.S. where you know cash for clunkers trade in your old car get a get a get a um, a fuel efficient car. It was also during that time that I bought my first Tesla. And I was seeing that, you know, electric vehicles were becoming a real thing, you know, in, in, in 2011 and 2012. And at the same time, uh, we were going through this revolution in the U.S. where we were fracking and, 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 um, and, and uh, oil production became extremely efficient. Uh, at the same time that we were, had more, you know, fuel efficient vehicles. So it created this really interesting uh, supply demand dynamic where, uh, if you, if you, if you know anything about uh, the oil industry, uh, around that time, you know, Cushing, Oklahoma, which is where most of the oil in the U S was stored, uh, was running out of capacity because there was so much supply. And there's also laws in the U S where they, you know, can't really export oil to other countries. So they were putting it on shipping containers, uh, outside of, uh, Houston, uh, just to have a place to put the oil. So anytime you have a, a supply demand inefficiency like that, uh, oil obviously drops. So 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 we we were I was at Guggenheim at the time and we were looking at that pretty in, uh, in, 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 in intensely and we're like you know oil's over a dollar a barrel, it's possible that it could go to twenty five dollars, which is which is kind of insane. And people thought we were crazy, uh, but it did. Um, we're at an interesting time right now where there's just zero demand for oil and. Um, a lot of people believe that oil can't go below the price that it costs to produce it, which is about $23 a barrel in the U S or about $26 a barrel in Canada. Uh, and, and by the way, much cheaper in other places in the country where they're basically importing free labor, you know, uh, as a way to put it in places like uh, the middle East. So, um, so, so, so can oil go below the, you know, the, the, the price that it is to produce it. I, I believe absolutely so, because I think a lot of oil companies are becoming zombie companies in and of themselves where 
they're simply selling and producing oil uh, however they can uh, just to make their debt service, uh, which is which is which is really unfortunate. Um, I, I don't know if 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 oil will recover to you know over hundred dollars a barrel like it has before. Um, you know, maybe maybe to the forty to the fifty dollar range eventually. Uh, but as we talked about earlier, you know, human behavior has changed in the last month, and they're going to have long lasting effects. So I don't know how 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 often people are going to get back on a plane and travel, which is which is a huge driver of of of, of demand. Uh, I don't know if people are going to leave their houses as much as they used to uh, and get into their cars and drive. Um, you know, obviously there's, you know, um, you know, delivery of goods has really picked up, which actually is, is less efficient than, uh, you know, a lot of other methods. But, um, you know, that, 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 that that's, that's, that's going to take energy as well. So, um yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't see it going to its highs. Uh, I see technology to produce oil continue to get more efficient, and I see alternatives coming in. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think you can get a nice double out of it from here. <laughs> but it might get worse before it gets better. Yeah, no, I agree. And that, this is a very elemental theory. I haven't put that much research into it. But to me, the idea that um, expensive oil is what would fuel research and development into being more efficient with it. Whereas if oil is cheap, then people go, why bother with an electric car? Why bother recycling? Uh, I don't know how you feel about that supposition. Yeah, it's, it's really funny um, because I, I do have an electric car and I have a gas car. And when I had to you know, go pick up things at the market or, or other things, I, I debate you know, and this is, this is the problem that I have as an investor is, is everything is a, you know, investment decision in my life, whether it's, you know, driving to the market. I'm like, okay, well, it, it's slightly cheaper for me to take my gas car and on some days it is my electric car. And I, and I, and I, and, I, and, I, and it's funny cause I, and I, I'm constantly making those decisions in my mind. Uh, whereas, you know, two months ago, it was always a no brainer. You know, you take the electric car. Well, according to Adam Smith, that's how everyone is thinking all the time about every decision they make every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. I probably beat myself up over it a little bit more than than, than others do. Um, but also, you know, I'm still the guy that picks up a penny off the ground when I see it. So, Do you want to learn how to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins? Coincompass.com is running a free two-hour webinar on Sunday, 31st of May. To register and for more details, visit coincompass.com forward slash webinar. So, Stephen, I've really enjoyed our macroeconomic whip around the world. And we are Bitcoin educators here. So primary goal of our business is to teach people how to buy Bitcoins and securely store them. So all the stuff we've been talking about, how does Bitcoin actually fit into this macroeconomic world we find ourselves in today? Yeah, well, you know, I... I I have my, my, my um, beliefs, right? And we've talked about this earlier in what Bitcoin should be and, 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 and what I think it is. And, 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 and by the way, I, I would love to have a, you know, a great peer-to-peer electronic cash system eventually, you know, in the world. Um, and, 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 and we also talked about what I, believe that it's it's become and what people are using it so as an investor i have to look at it as a as a speculative instrument and look at what 
other people are doing and what other, how, how other people are thinking and buying it. And, you know, I think in the short run, markets are going to continue to go down. Um, I, I know we've seen, you know, a lot of people have been cheering that the S&P and the Dow are out of bear territory and that it's recovered. Uh, you know, it, it, it hasn't, you know, and, and, and Bitcoin's recovered, which, which I don't believe it has either. Um, I, I believe in the next 30 to 45 days, we're going to see economic data that comes out through quarterly reports uh, of companies as well as uh, labor reports that are going to be very dismal. And, uh, and it's not going to be Q1, it's going to be, you know, Q2, and, and even things that we didn't know about Q4, uh, which I believe is going to drive markets down much, much further, you know, probably somewhere in the range of 30 to 45% lower, um, which is going to have an effect on all risk assets, including Bitcoin. So I, I think, I don't, I don't think we're out of, you know, bear territory yet. Um, Bitcoin itself, I, th- I think if the S&P goes down 40%, then Bitcoin goes down 50 to 60 uh, because it is more liquid and it's more risky. Um, but, but after we see that and we start seeing a recovery, I, I, I do believe that people are, you know, people are educating themselves in it right now. There's, there's more and more buyers. And uh, I, I do believe that when, when everything settles or the dust settles, it'll probably be, you know, probably have the opportunity to run up faster than a lot of other risk assets, just, just as it went down um, as much as other risk assets due to the volatility. But I'm not ready to pull the trigger on that just yet. <laughs> <laughs> There's no V-shaped recovery. Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? One day there will be. But I think it's many, many months, if not years ahead. Yeah, there's no Bitcoin plunge protection team. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's exactly right. Uh, there are some really good strategies out there that I've seen that are, you know, uh, there's, you know, there's a there's a group called Sarsen Funds up in uh, Indianapolis that has a really interesting covered call strategy on Bitcoin. Um, you know, I think I think some of those types of things are very interesting, uh, where you can you know protect your downside and then. And, and then as it's, as it's flat or going up, you, you're earning income. So, so yeah, there's, there's some interesting strategies out there to protect yourself, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> so I have a question, Stephen. Um, sorry, Faris, you go. So uh, a lot of our audience are retail investors and we basically show them how to safely buy and securely store. So they're talking about buying on an exchange and maybe transferring it to a ledger or some sort of hardware wallet. From your perspective, you don't have to give away your secret source, but are you guys actually taking physical delivery, custodianship of, for example, Bitcoin or digital assets, or are you using a third party or what, what, what are you guys doing? Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good question. Um, because of some of the regulations in uh, in the U.S. and Canada, uh, if you're if you're an investment advisor, an asset manager, you, you actually um, aren't allowed to hold physical assets, self custody them uh, on behalf of your clients. Uh, so what we do is we we utilize tools that are already out there uh, that, that that come in the form of funds, and this is sort of the value of having companies like Three IQ. Uh, you know, with a with a publicly listed fund or other funds that we can invest into, they handle the custody through, say, somebody like a Gemini, 
um, and uh, or or other custody, you know, or other approved custody agents. Uh, so 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 that's how we that's how we operate uh, through our fund uh, from a regulatory standpoint. Um, personally, um, you know, I I, I do other things. <laughs> And I, you know, uh, but, but that's actually a hard thing too. I mean, I'm really glad that you, that you guys have, uh, you know, this, 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 this series where you educate people on how to buy and secure, because it's, it's very important. Um, it's something that, that, you know, if you were to ask me to teach you how to do it, I, I, I would fail. Right. I, I actually have a security specialist that I work with that has taught me how to do it and does a lot for me. So um, and it's actually, that's actually a problem with Bitcoin for the masses too, right? Is, um, you know, it's, 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 it's not quite there where you can very easily buy, hold, secure, own your own keys all, 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 all at once. It takes, it takes education. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'll be glad to see when other programs are in place or, or other code is being written or other people continue to help people do that. Uh, I think, I think that's when it'll get, you know, greater mass adoption. Yeah. I find some of these um, alternate solutions, like I'm not sure if you're familiar with say the Casa node or some of these other sort of, you know, plug and play kind of node. You, you're smiling. I don't know if you use them or not. No, but it's, in- <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting to us because um, there really is no one size fits all, you know, not, not to mention the fact that $100 worth of Bitcoin or 100000 is different, but also technical ability, where are you going to store it? Are you going to use multi-sig, hardware wallet? Da-da-da. And now we see this revolution in, say, these Casa nodes or this type of thing where, you know, it's a Linux server, basically, you plug into your home and, and, and that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, we're kind of reinventing the wheel. We're sort of going back to, you know, digging a hole in the backyard, putting gold, gold in it. So I find it fascinating, these custody solutions. Some of them are inventive and innovative. Some of them are, are going 10 steps backwards. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, um, well, and, 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 and there are a lot of people out there that are scrambling to, you know, buy and, buy and hold it for you, which is, which, is, which is great as a speculative instrument, right? Mm. But if you're really buying and holding it for what it was in, originally intended for, you don't own your keys, you don't own your Bitcoin. So uh, that's, 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 that's really something that, that, that the population is going to have to be educated on uh, before it can really take off for its intended purpose. Well, uh, hopefully that's what we're doing first. And we've actually got a free webinar to show people how to buy it and how to store it securely. So there's a quick plug. Um, I'll attend. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Coincompass.com slash webinar. There you go. Free ad. Um, I've got a serious question for you now, Stephen. Do you still drink Tenzo tea? <laughs> of course I do. So, uh, yeah, Tenzo tea is a, is a, is a personal portfolio company of mine that I'm an advisor for. It's a great group of guys, uh, in the LA area. They're all, uh, uh they all went to UCLA. They were all on the volleyball team together and they dropped everything that they were doing, including one of the partners who was, who was seven foot one, about to go on the AVP tour and uh, decided, no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm starting a business. So these young guys that are just out there hustling, selling tea all over the place, uh, they're, they're a great matcha tea company. So nice little plug for those guys. But uh, I, love, I love finding guys like that that hustle that are, that are half my age.
Did you ever consider changing the name to Blockchain Tenslow T? <laughs> well, I'm not the founder. I'm, I'm purely, purely an advisor and investor, but, uh, but no, uh, yeah, those, yeah. <laughs> Tenzo blockchain. That sounds good. I like it. Yeah. Are there any projects that you're excited about, whether they're, you know, blockchain coins or whatever, or businesses? Um, what do you, what, what sort of gets you up and up in the mornings? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you know, look, I'm really, I'm really enjoying what I'm, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm doing with the guys at Exponential. Um, you know, the, the, the co-founders are fantastic human beings. Um, everything that they do is with purpose. Um, you know, they, they, they want to do things right. They want to make the world a better place. Um, they want all investments to be, you know, net positive, if not net neutral to, you know, um, uh, to uh, to human beings, alleviate world suffering. Um, so th- those are really the, the you know the tenets of the company. And uh, so you know I, I I get up every morning excited uh, uh, working with them. Um, I've also been helping a co-founder of mine for my you know I, I had a I started a company about a year ago that got acquired from over a year ago now. It was a long time ago. It got it, it got acquired almost a year ago now. Uh, but my, but my old co-founder from that company, um, you know, he's, he's been working, you know, very diligently on a payments platform. Uh, that's a, it's a global pay- payments platform that, that focuses on, you know, freelancers and 1099 workers, um, which, which I think is, is where the world's moving. You know, people don't want to, uh, sit in a, in a cubicle all day earning a paycheck, you know, um, and, and I, and I think they're more efficient too. So, um, he's been, you know, really building uh, uh, a very interesting uh, software that allows you to transfer money instantly uh, all over the world using blockchain technologies in some cases, but 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 primarily uh, here in the U.S. just using just using cash and being more efficient about the way they do it, uh, gearing it towards 1099 workers and freelancers as opposed to you know somebody earning a, a paycheck every two weeks. So that's been a lot of fun as well. Awesome. Are we going to see a PayPal dollar? Do you think? I think we will. I think. I think. I think. I think those things are coming very soon. I'll pro- we'll probably see a a a, a, a B digital digital currency before we see anything else. And uh, I think they're racing to be the the next global medium of exchange uh, uh, after the dollar. And uh, and we see them really focusing on emerging market countries that they're doing trade with to do this in. So I think the rest of the world is going to have to catch up. Is so just on that is like is this Fedcoin digital dollar you know maybe giving your un- to da- you have to download the app you know to get your unemployment ben- benefits is that a reality or is that just we're, we're talking you know ten years away? I think we're I think we're less than two years away. Wow, I really do yeah. Uh, if not, you know, if not even sooner. Um, that's fascinating because we were talking about this recently of how life imitating art because this all happened in years ago in the TV series uh, Mr. Robot exactly this yeah, yeah that's right Bitcoin yeah well um, look I mean the, the, the technology is there right now uh, I've, I've actually seen some really interesting wallet solutions uh, that, that have the ability to be downloaded and uh, and, and utilized digital dollars uh you know really the question is 
it's, it's probably more of, of, of approval through the right regulatory channels in the U.S. Um, and there are interesting, you know, uh, in, in, interesting code out there for digital dollars that can be transferred, you know, immediately. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I think, I think if people get through regulators, I think it could happen very quickly. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest holdup, you know, a desire, uh, uh, a political desire to do it. Because this um, was actually launched in India a few years ago, the Adar system, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And there's some conspiracy theories out there that the U.S. was actually involved in that. Oh, I, I don't know anything about that one. That's, that's interesting to hear. Yeah, as you said before, it's regulation and social acceptance. I mean, uh, there's no reason why there couldn't be a FedCoin. It's not a technological reason. You could download Bitcoin today. Uh, instead of 21 million, make it unlimited. And instead of having decentralized 10,000 miners, you have the Federal Reserve. They're the only miner. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's interesting, too, is, I mean, I don't know if, you know, you've, you've played around with Coinbase at all. Um, you know, Coinbase is, is, you know, got a really interesting wallet solution and uh, and really interesting API to plug into. And I can, you know, I can send you know, USDC to people in, you know, Thailand or, or, or Philippines quite easily, uh, within seconds, uh, using, using Coinbase. So, uh, there's a lot of capability out there. You know, there really is just, you know, there's, there's gotta be, like I said, political desire and, 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 and people have to have the desire to want to be able to use it. Um, my barbershop is a good example. Uh, they've been accepting Bitcoin for three years. Um, and one day I asked my barber, I said, do you, how many people pay you in Bitcoin? He goes, well, nobody, uh, but we thought it'd be a really cool marketing thing. But, and I was like, well, well why do you think that is? He's like, it's like, it's just too complicated. You know, people, people want to pay me with a, with a credit card. It's faster. Um, and, and I was also thinking to myself, I was like, well, the true Bitcoiners aren't going to pay you in Bitcoin. They're going to hodl it. Right. So, um, you know, <laughs> so that's, that's the other issue, right? It's like uh, Gresham's law, I think it is. You get rid of the bad money before the good money. There's no way I'm paying for a haircut in Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So we just had a podcast. Sorry, Stephen. Oh, no, I was just going to say, well, well, it acts a lot like a commodity, right? And, uh, you know, you, you look to the, to the famous periods of time where, where commodities um, went up in value very quickly. People, people, don't, people don't sell them if they have them. You know, like, you know, people, you know, there's, there's the famous picture of the person hoarding all the cotton in their house. And their house is overflowing with cotton because the price of cotton went up three X in a, in a matter of a week. They're like, well, it's going up in value. I'm not going to sell it. I'm going to wait until it, until it has maximum price. And then I'm going to sell my cotton, right. Or tulips or, or, or whatever, you know, commodity that you have at the time. So Bitcoin's kind of the same type of thing. If it's going up in value, people are going to hoard it. If it's going down in value, people want to get rid of it. And, uh, you know, and, and those are really the two things that are preventing it from, 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 from peer to peer, you know, electronic cash usage so it's interesting you say that because i mean us in the western world we're used to two three percent inflation but if you ask someone in zimbabwe or uh, venezuela you know they can't get rid of their cash quick enough there are some people who are waiting in line for the supermarket and every five minutes the cashier has to you know call up someone to check what the new exchange rate is so in the west we don't we, we just don't really see that so um we actually just recently did an episode on bitcoin adoption and perhaps why uh, merchants aren't gonna, haven't been adopted Bitcoin yet 
do you think it's just because of that? You know, if you're a barber, um, it's a, it's totally a marketing ploy, which is great. You know that that that's fine. But let's be honest, that barber is probably either converting it straight back into cash on Coinbase or some sort of wallet. They can't pay their suppliers, their vendors in Bitcoin. So they don't really want to hold it unless it's just, you know, a a few extra um, dollars here or there. Um, Why do you think we haven't seen, say, retail merchant adoption of Bitcoin? Yeah, well, what's it's it's really interesting because I I was having this conversation actually with Peter McCormick, who I think was recently on your show as well. In a, uh, we were in a undisclosed location uh, drinking Mai Tais by a pool. Uh, but we were talking about, um, you know, we were talking about like, you know, is there really, are, are there really people in, in South American countries, like, like what you hear rumors of, right? Where people are buying eggs and, and, and milk and, and bread and other staples using Bitcoin because the currency is so out of hand. And, and, we're talking about are, are these people really buying Bitcoin and hoarding it? No, they're if if they're getting Bitcoin, which they're probably not, but if they were, um, they're not they're not they're not they're not holding on to it. They're instantly converting it to their local currency because they have to eat that day. They have to pay rent that day. And uh, he actually did some investigation and found out that no, there's there really isn't many people even even utilizing or or buying Bitcoin in some of these places. Um, uh, one, one of the other things too, was, uh, if you go to Miami, you notice there's a lot of, uh, Bitcoin ATMs and, uh, the speculation is, is the reason why there's so many Bitcoin ATMs in Miami is because as people are fleeing countries like Argentina and Venezuela, which, which has been the case for, for a couple of years now, they're, they're, they're converting everything into Bitcoin to get it out of the country coming to Miami and then converting it to cash. Well, little little further investigation there. It's it's not as rampant as people think, but it is happening. Uh, so you know, next time you talk to Peter, you should you should ask him about that. <laughs> Mentioning Miami, I thought you were going to mention money laundering or something like that with these two ATMs depositing and withdrawing uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that's happening as well. <laughs> So, um, but, but yeah, well, here in the U.S., and, and, and to really address the question on, on why aren't merchants taking it and why aren't people buying Starbucks with, 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 with cryptocurrencies, it's very simple. It's the tax treatment. So um, if, if, if I buy, you know, if I buy Bitcoin, let's just say I buy $5 worth of Bitcoin and it turns into $10 worth of Bitcoin and I go buy a cup of coffee for, 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 for five seventy six. dollars then I have to pay taxes on the appreciated value of that Bitcoin in addition to my, to my coffee. And by the way, blocks are only created every 10 minutes. So it's slow. It doesn't happen instantly when you, when you, when you make a purchase or I can use my Starbucks card, earn rewards, not have to worry about taxes. What am I going to do? Right. I'm going to use my Starbucks card, you know, my, or my, my Starbucks app when I, when I, when I, when I go to Starbucks. So, uh, so yeah, it, it makes it really tough. I mean, there, there's, there's that company called Lolly, uh, that I was, I was looking at them and they're, you know, giving Bitcoin rewards for buying things. Uh, but it's, but it, but it's also the same type of problem, you know, um, you know, they, they, they try to solve that problem, but, but you still have to pay, um, you know, weird taxes on your appreciation, which just makes it very difficult to use for, for merchant transactions in the U S. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, my dad's an accountant and he's, uh, we were talking about this the other day and, and, uh, it, it is a complete nightmare 
in Australia, I think it's quite different. You're treated as, um, I can't remember what they treat it as, but it's a different kind of asset. It's like a, you, you pay capital gains, but there's some other, there's some other stipulation as well. And it's just like, you know, uh, not to mention the fact that if you're a trader and you've done a thousand trades and I know there, there's software that can hook in, you know, APIs to exchanges, but it's like, if you're using four or five exchanges and whatever, it's, yeah, it's, that's a total nightmare. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. Well, last year, the Australian taxation, sorry, last year, the Australian taxation office actually sent out a survey to, to people who traded, invest in Bitcoin, basically saying, how do you want us to treat this thing? And people responded. So, Well, it's funny um, because I think guidance only came out in the US like maybe a couple of years ago. But, uh, uh, but, but most of us that kind of, you know, that came from, you know, professional money world, whether it's accounting or finance or you know, we, we all just understood that that's what the guidance was going to be. And that's how we all treated it anyway. Yeah. And sure enough, that's, that's, that's what the guidance was. So, uh, you know, we, we were always very cautious. There was a letter sent out by the IRS. Have you traded in Bitcoin in the last year? Yes, no. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And a lot of people before two years ago didn't even report it. Uh, I, you know, I, you know, reported it. You know, every 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 year I traded it, but um, I mean, you don't have to report it necessarily when you buy it, but when you sell it, and um, so yeah, that that also makes it very difficult. And this is why you're seeing some countries basically promote themselves as Bitcoin havens. Move here, sell your bitcoins here. We won't tax you for it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Stephen, this has been in- yeah. Oh, there's a few more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this has been incredibly educational and entertaining for us, Stephen. We really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, third, you, you know, made a, I won't call it a prediction, but 30 to 45 days from now, some interesting things may be happening. If, if you're still free, we'd love to do a follow-up with you then. Absolutely. That way, when I'm wrong, you can like point out all the places I was wrong. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Not at all. But uh, yeah, um, do you have any final thoughts, questions, anything you want to mention before we uh, sign off? No, look, I, I, I really, really, really enjoyed spending time with you guys. Uh, had, a, had, a, had a fantastic conversation. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time and having me on your show. It's, uh, uh, I look forward, to, uh, look forward to what comes out from you guys over the next few weeks. Thank you very much, Stephen. Um, we'll link to your Medium article in the show notes of this episode, but uh, where can people find out about you? Yeah, uh, you know, Twitter is probably where I'm most active, uh, at Stephen McClurk. Pretty simple. All right, we'll boost up your followers. <laughs> well, thanks again. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, maybe chat to you in a couple of months' time. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks Stephen. You guys have a great day. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.